50 podcast presented by Party Fish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all around the world. Film starts here at Nifty 2019 in Seattle, Washington. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Robert Spiewak. I'm one of the programmers of Nifty 2019. Um, and I am sitting here with the director of Scaling Iceland. Adam, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Yeah, my name is Adam Herskoronatos, and I am the uh, director, cinematographer, and editor for a documentary on uh, the effects of isolation on Iceland. Yeah, uh, and so I watched this for the first time last night, actually, because um, so our director of programming, Kyle Sego, um, he progr- he actually programmed it, um, and I was, it's so, well, I'll let you describe it. So tell us, like, give us a synopsis of kind of, because this touches on a lot of pieces of, like, Icelandic culture and history and um, it's kind of this really holistic view of the country and ge- just the geography and everything. So if you want to just start there and we'll kind of go uh, from there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think one of my, my biggest, I don't know if it's a regret so much, but something I would maybe do differently is, is be a little more focused about it because yeah. now it's, it is, uh, like you say, sort of like a, a shotgun approach. It's a little of everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's, it speaks in broad strokes about the country and, um, Originally, it actually uh, started with an interest on um, one very specific thing, and that was uh, the genetic homogeneity uh, of the country, or the supposed genetic homogeneity. Um, And while in certain, what I learned in the course of research was that uh, even though, yeah, in certain measures of genetic diversity, it is uh, very homogenous, um, it actually isn't quite as homogenous as a lot of the companies that are based there Mm -hmm. um, advertise. Yeah. And so, um, but it, it began with that, and then um, it was a very, uh, to be honest, a very abstract connection. Um, a lot of genome mapping uh, is done in sort of this ring formation. Yeah. And I was, I just became obsessed with Iceland as a country and its landscape and its its mythology, and um, the and the map itself of Iceland is. Uh, a, a ring with Fairly nodes. Round, yeah. yeah. And, and because, I mean, there's not much going, I mean, well, there's a lot of volcanic activity and things yeah. in the center, but in terms of life, it's all sort of along the, uh, the fringes of the country along this one main road called the ring road. Yeah. And, um, and so looking at a map of Iceland, uh, topologically, and then at these genome maps, I was like, Oh, they sort of resemble each other. And then, um, and then I'd also been very interested in uh, looking at the world from above mm-hmm. um, and sort of uh, treating the camera as like a microscope, um, but on like yeah. a macroscopic level. So that's how it, uh, I, I was like, OK, maybe I'll expand this into not just being about genetics, but also the, the geography of the, of the landscape. And, um, and then also uh, as I talked to more people, I got interested in the sociological elements so, too yeah so. it was this it was this this um, this <laughs> snowball that just he's, yeah he's yeah just kind of balloon like, nope, i want to talk about all of it yep, yep yeah and so something and it's so um it's interesting that the the, the genome part is the kind of was the the kickoff um the mo- the thing you started with because that um it doesn't get into that until like two-thirds of the way through right mm-hmm. um because it starts off very like uh it starts off i mean the from space or uh, uh um visualization of space, and then we kind of drill down into Iceland itself. Uh, something that I did not know is that Icelandic, or Iceland was formed by volcanic activity. Yes. And that was, that's so interesting how that, that, that base, base origin has created that, that isolation that you were talking about and, and just created this 
wholly unique like culture there too even though like obviously people had to like emigrate to it but it's still so its own place and and so I'm curious where um like where you're how you kind of came around to focusing on it in the first place like where did even starting and learning about this genome information come from yeah um, I, so I actually, I, uh, didn't study film. I studied, uh, cognitive neuroscience. Okay. And so, um, and it was, I didn't focus on genealogy or genetics, but, um, I was reading a lot of journal articles, scientific, um, journal articles that had to do with a variety of subjects. And so, um, Iceland came up as an example of homogeneity. Yeah. And then on, I think a whim, I just was Googling about, about it. And there are a lot of fun pieces about how um, I, I'm, I, <clears throat> I didn't, not many people I spoke to there spoke on this matter, but mm-hmm. I think, and so I don't know how much of an urban legend it is, but supposedly they are very like careful about uh, dating culture in Iceland because they're worried that, you know, oh, you don't want to date somebody could your, be related your to cousin. Else, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, and supposedly there's an app where you can sort of check your like ancestry. Like some kind of family tree app or something. Exactly. Oh, um, and so I thought that there is some humor in that. Again, that was, that didn't become the focus of the film, but just uh, the, uh, it just felt like, okay, here's this relatively unique case study because, yeah. I mean, there are many island cultures, um, but this one was felt particularly unique because it was hailed as this, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. especially homogenous space that's also, like, I think relatively well-known, also very developed, um, and uh, but is also simultaneously, like, pretty new. Yeah. Um, and not geologically, but, like, culturally, um, mm-hmm. relatively to the, to the rest of the world. Yeah, so. and um, something, and I want to come back around to this, but something that's worth noting is how news of Iceland and Icelandic culture is kind of now starting to get out, and more people are becoming aware of it as, uh, as, a, as a tourist destination, and just, and just more than that, I'm sure people are moving there more than they ever have, and um, and something with the the genome mapping and everything that's so interesting is like we see it kind of on almost every level in in your film where you know we talk we talk about the flies which is where you know we originally learned about um, that I having done a large project on fruit flies once upon a time um, I, I know that that's where um, trait mapping and everything is came from but then you also get into talking about animals coming and going like uh, meat uh, exports and and not specifically not imports and things like that. And so uh, in getting connected to, you know, experts on that and all of the interview subjects in the film, like what was selection process? Like how did you find all these all these people? Yeah, so um, initially when I first started doing the research, I so I applied for a grant through my university to mm-hmm. do research, and uh, the, the grant is actually normally for uh, students doing either medical work or, uh, or it's pretty loose, but it, generally speaking, the students are doing medical work or some kind of anthropological work. Yeah. Um, but almost always it, they had papers that were due at the end. And so I originally applied to this saying, Hey, I would like to do this research, but I would like to make a, a film as my final, uh, form of it. Yeah. And so, uh, and they thankfully agreed to that. And, um, and then when I started trying to plan how I was going to uh, talk to people and get people to talk. Um, I decided that I, one, didn't want to include faces just because, um, I didn't 
I felt like I had seen so many documentaries that had just sort of talking heads on screen yeah. and I wanted to avoid that altogether. But two, because I felt like people would be more comfortable opening up just to a microphone yeah. versus having a camera pointed at their face. You can face. set it on a table and you, they forget about it. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I thought I'd get more conversational um, interviews that way. And, um, and so I felt like more people might be willing to speak to me. So I started reaching out to people just saying, hey, I'd like to do an audio interview with you. Yeah. And actually, before I went to Iceland, um, I had only secured, uh, I, I had reached out to a lot of people, but a lot of, there was a lot of non-committal responses. Sure. And there was only one person, actually, when I arrived who, was, who had agreed on a set time and date. Yeah. And so I was a little, I was nervous, but I had about three weeks blocked out to be there because I knew I had to be flexible around these people. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the person who agreed, uh, oh my God, I'm going to botch her, her the pronunciation, <laughs> but Adleher Goodman's daughter, and she's a professor of folklore at the yeah. University of Iceland. She very kindly agreed to meet, and it was one of my first days there. And actually at the University of Iceland, while I was there, I started just uh, knocking on some doors mm -hmm. um, in different departments. Uh, speaking to them, asking for referrals, and and actually being there in person, I found was uh, much more effective at getting people to uh, to offer their their time. Well, and you're there; they don't want to say no to a real human. That's, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and so that that face to face interaction um, really did help and and opened a lot of doors. So um, from that actual initial interview, and then my conversations at the University of Iceland. I got in contact with a lot more people, started yeah. um, emailing people on the ground, um, and it suddenly sort of concretized while I yeah. was there too. So um, a lot of it was was luck. A lot of it was um, uh, just some, yeah, uh, outreach while there, and then some of it was just walking up to people on the street and, and talking to them for a while, and then yeah. um, if they had a perspective that I was interested in, uh, I would ask if I could I could record the conversation. Yeah. And, um, and people were remarkably open to that therapy. The, the people of Iceland are actually very, I think, um, uh, open to, to talking to foreigners about, about their culture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of a, like, we, we, we would love to share it's share, it's sharing it and being genuinely authentically proud of, of that heritage and culture. So, yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, and so I'm curious because, uh, you mentioned trying to convey, sort of like a looking at it under a microscope, but even but zooming it way out to get a macro view of everything too. I'm curious how the, how the choice of that evolved over the production of it, because obviously there's a lot of, there's a, it's, it's mostly drone um, videography and, um, and it's so striking. Like I think that um, it captures this almost, um, uh, almost like we're looking at like a diorama or something. Um, I think that it really accomplishes that, and it's and the country is so colorful and um, and and just the landscapes are beautiful. Um, and so, in breaking that up, like how did you approach where, where we just have the narration to guide us, keeping that engaging because it is just landscapes. It, it's it's almost like it's like a nature documentary, but even without you know the a subject in it, an obvious subject of oh we're watching this animal or something like it, I mean I guess the animal is the people but but what was your approach in keeping that engaging that very still life almost mm -hmm. view of Iceland? Well, um, thank you because I, I actually I, I wasn't so sure and still not sure if if it totally worked because it, it was admittedly an experiment. I, sure. I um I wanted to keep it faceless for the reason I mentioned being just I, I didn't want talking heads but also. Um, just on a more like uh, 
general level of, of not putting a face to Iceland, even though, I, I mean, I've heard uh, mixed reviews on that. And, and I do think, obviously, um, I mean, people do respond to faces. And, and yeah. so I think that would have made it more engaging in, in many ways. But um, I do like the disconnect that you feel. Um, and the and the reasoning behind it was just I, I wanted to try to make a documentary um, that was visually different than what I was used to seeing. So yeah. Um, so seeing things from above, I, I think, gives you just a, a radically different perspective on how uh, things are related to each other. Mm-hmm. And um, and so because proximity has such a great effect on on I mean it, I, I, maybe this sounds obvious, but like proximity affects relationships. And so, um, especially when you have this isolated ecosystem, proximity is everything. Um, I mean, towns are so se- like separate from each other, yet there's such f- strong family ties. Yeah. Um, there is a strong sense of community in Iceland. Um, and then there's also like on a grander scale, it's proximity to Europe has mm-hmm. had a lot of impact on it, even though, um, again, so I, I went into this with this hypothesis that, oh, wow, this has been a remarkably closed off culture. And it actually hasn't been. Um, as closed off as I, as I initially thought. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so again, it's proximity on, on a, you know, continental scale to Europe has had a lot of influence on it, but, yeah. um, and then on a, yeah. And then on a day to day scale, um, you see a lot of, uh, effects of proximity. So yeah, I think the perspective from above was a decision, um, to just see that landscape in a different way. And, and also, if, you know, it, it, it's such a striking, uh, yeah, the, the landscape itself is just so striking that it's, yeah. it feels like cheating. I mean, it's just so cool. It's, it's hard to point a camera at it and not have it yeah. be, um, you know, breathtaking. So, yeah. um, so that was, I, I think part of it. And I, I just love the, the abstract nature too, of, of a lot of the textures mm-hmm. and, um, because of, because all these textures of the landscape are so varied and, and, um, intricate, it, it, you lose your sense of scale too. And so I, I like that effect as well that you sometimes don't know if you're looking at something very up close or whether you're looking at it yeah. from a hundred meters above. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, I think that was part of I it. I think, too. yeah, I get this, this sense of like, of, uh, some of them almost just look like paintings that you'd see in like a modern art gallery or something where there's like, um, I'm thinking of one in particular where there there's, it's, it's all, Sand, and then there's just a stripe of blue river running through it, and it's like I could totally see that on a on a wall somewhere, um, and yeah, yeah, that's that's it's, it's incredible. It's incredible to look at. Um, if if anyone's listening that hasn't watched it yet and is listening to this, you pause, go watch it, come back. And so I'm I'm curious a little more about uh, your journey to filmmaking because I, I know we've had you here at the festival before, um, but you didn't go to school for film um, and are now obviously working um in the in the medium and so i'm curious um having a focus and an interest in science like what brought you to filmmaking through that or if that was what got you there yeah um i so i i think like a lot of the uh filmmakers here was passionate about making films with friends as as a kid Mm -hmm. so uh since i was 10 i spent a lot of weekends making shorts um like goofy shorts, mostly narrative or weird experimental stuff. Yeah. And um, and then I simultaneously was doing some work for uh, the San Diego Habitat Conservancy and the National Energy Foundation mm-hmm. uh, because I submitted um, a project on weatherization um, and climate control in homes to to a competition. And um, when that went well, um, 
I realized, oh wow, you, you can do this for work. Mm -hmm. So I spent some of my time outside of high school making these videos um, for uh, the National Energy Foundation and then also just narrative goofy stuff with my, with my buds. And then, um, but then I still, I think at the time, didn't really know or feel like it was a viable path yeah. for a career. And I, I don't know why, because I, I feel like there are plenty of role models that I was aware of, just I, I guess I hadn't processed it. So I, I didn't apply to film school because I wasn't sure that was what I wanted to do. It just sure. felt like a hobby. And um, and then once I went to school, I, I had always been interested in psychology, and I. Uh, but part of me, I think, felt some strange inner pressure to um, want to uh, to 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 study something a little more uh, computational. Uh -huh. And so neuroscience fulfilled that for me. And yeah. um, but I ended up steering a lot of my studies towards visual perception. And for a while, actually, for about three years, I worked as a lab manager at the university for um, a virtual environment navigation lab. Wow. And there they conduct studies mostly on, like, uh, crowd navigation, and they do that using VR headsets. And so yeah. I was the tech who managed the uh, the VR headsets. And so oh. I um, – but so my selfish interest in, in that um, lab was – I wanted to see if I could adapt that technology for storytelling. Yeah. And my uh, the PI of the of the lab, uh, Bill Warren, was incredibly supportive of that, and and he he himself was very interested in perception of art and illusions, and um, so he, uh, yeah, so he allowed me to experiment, and so I actually I did my thesis on uh, transitions and editing and and yeah. trying to think about how you can translate certain uh, certain cinematic languages into virtual reality, and so. Um, to your point about being at Nifty in the past, I was here for a, a VR film or for yeah. a 360 film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did that with the support of a VR production company in Los Angeles, who I actually met at uh, Sundance mm -hmm. and just cold cold called um, yeah, wow. and uh, asked if they had an internship. And, and they very kindly said, "Wow, um, no, but like if you want to <laughs> show up, we'll find something for you to do." So, oh, cool. Um, for uh, about a few months, I just worked there as, as support, and then um, they entrusted me by the end of my time there to to make something. So that's that was the project that I, I brought to Nifty yeah. two years ago. But um, but again, that was me really trying to sort of form like uh, sort of mold my interests in in film to this new medium. Yeah, and then. After experimenting with that for a while, I was I was still like in in tandem to that, um, working on a, a bunch of narrative uh, projects at school. There sadly there is not a film program at my university, yeah. so there's um, just uh, a, but there is a big filmmaking community. So yeah, I yeah. Uh, I for a while was a head of production and then um, managing director for uh, Brown Motion Pictures, which mm -hmm. was the student organization student led organization that. Uh, produces about four shorts every semester. Yeah, and so um, through that, I was constantly just working on on shorts, and and it was nice because cool. I felt like I was flexing a muscle, and I would do forty eight hour competitions every yeah, year, yeah. and and so that that um, and, and then as I was doing that, I think it, it became more reaffirming that uh, oh wow, this is like something that there's a big community around, and um, and going to festivals and seeing other people making a making a life out of out of this work um, got me really excited about that opportunity. So. Um, I sort of, I finished out my, my last year in neuroscience knowing that I think I, like I was going to close that chapter yeah. and then wanting to continue with just film. So, 
um, I moved to Los Angeles. I grew mm-hmm. up in San Diego, so oh, yeah. it's it's not too not far too from far, home. Yeah. And then continued doing some independent contracting work for uh, that VR company. Yeah. And uh, doing some odd editing jobs and, and occasional uh, cinematography jobs for yeah. uh, various people that I met through past projects. So um, it's only been a year out of school, so I'm, I'm hoping I can keep that ball rolling. But, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. But yeah, so for the time being, I, I wanted to to try making this work. Doing this, yeah. yeah. And so um, did you have to go through a formal like permitting process and everything for shooting in Iceland? Like, What was that process like? Yeah, so um, when I first started looking into it, um, they, because the tourism industry was just beginning to boom, sure, uh, and drones were still a relatively new technology, yeah. they hadn't established any clear rules on drones, and actually they, uh, it was pretty open to drone, to like FAV and, and different yeah. kinds of, um, uh, photography, so I leaped on that opportunity to just film as it's much like, as I right, could. Well, yeah. We're all doing right, all drones <laughs> then. <laughs> and um and there there were there are a few spaces in Iceland that are designated as no fly zones and sure. and I respected those obviously, but would um, that be like airports and or airports, yeah. there's a there's a waterfall near the Golden Circle where they oh. ask people not to. Yeah. Um I don't know what the story behind that is, but yeah. that one specifically and then uh one of the largest geysers um has a has a no drone policy. Yeah. Um, posted everywhere, and I'm assuming because they might have lost a drone to an exploding I was geyser. Say, they or don't something. want one losing battery over it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah or getting hit by the by yeah. the spurt. So they, um, so I couldn't get my dream shot of a geyser from above exploding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So there, but there wasn't a formal permitting process. Though I think if I wanted to do something on a larger scale, I, I would need that. Um, sure. I yeah. I just I mean everyone that I filmed or who you could potentially identify yeah i spoke with before filming yeah yeah but again part of actually the reason for keeping it faceless because was that i knew that it would it wouldn't violate anyone's privacy and and i thought there was a um there was an ease to that as well yeah and so you you mentioned get, uh getting the uh, the geyser shot or wanting to get a geyser shot and everything and so there there are shots of uh, volcanic eruptions and things like that so um i'm curious i've heard stories about this from like uh, other nature documentaries like Planet Earth and things. And so I'm curious, your experience in, you know, being in the right place at the right time, like what was, how did you try to yeah. approach getting those shots? Yeah, so there was a, a, a lot of, I truly just a lot of uh, good fortune. Yeah. Um, the So uh, for full disclosure, the there's, I think, two explosions in the film mm-hmm. and... Uh, and I actually had a long conversation about this with a volcanologist who I was in contact with um, yeah. before going to Iceland, um, who's based there in Stixholmer. Um, he he and I talked about uh, the integrity of, of the image, and yeah. and I agree with him for the most part. But because there are so many abstract uh, links between the visual and what's being discussed on camera or yeah. uh, in the film, um, I felt comfortable having things a little more abstract tie to what people were talking about. So. For example, um, the explosion that you see from above mm-hmm. over a road yeah. is that was luck. I was um, I was driving um, and I was stopped and told that I couldn't pass a road because they were about to detonate um, oh. an entire portion of the mountain. Yeah. And so I asked, would it, would they be okay with me filming it? And they said, of course, sure, if you get it up in time. So I quickly <laughs> flew my drone up as quickly as I could and I yeah. caught it just in time for wow. the detonation. And so that that is a dynamite detonation. It's oh, not okay. it's not volcanic, um, but. I thought that it had the same sort of emotional impact of showing sort of someone's landscape. talking about like this just happens. Yeah, 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 and it and it's true, and it doesn't look radically different than that. But um, yeah, I just I, I 
this goes back to a much larger conversation about, um, I think, documentary and what it, like, I think the viewer expects in terms of truthfulness of, of what's on screen. Yeah. And to me, that felt like like a just enough of a white lie that it didn't feel like I was being too misleading there because yeah, I yeah. wanted to show the... I mean, you have a re- other real eruptions yeah, in the film. Anyway, yeah, and there's a so, shot, there's a shot yeah. from space of, of a volcanic eruption um, from NASA that's, that's public domain. Yeah. And so... Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm mixing and matching those, um, cool. but uh, but that one for example was uh, that was luck, but it also isn't volcanic. Um, and actually, I, so I asked the volcanologist if he would be comfortable sending me footage of actual eruptions because I wasn't there long enough to. Ca- I mean, they happen, yeah. but not that commonly. Sure. And uh, and he said that, uh, and then actually he didn't respond. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so and I couldn't get any any volcanic footage from him. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't have any to include. Well. Um, but. Yeah, you got something. Yeah, something from somebody. Yeah, that's what matters. Um, yeah. cool. Uh, and so as we're getting closer to wrapping up, I'm curious, uh, what are you working on now that um, we can look forward to? Yeah. Um. So I've been working on a few narrative projects. Um. Another documentary as well. So I'm in uh, pre-production for a science fiction piece. Mm-hmm. Um. That explores um sort of a toxic masculinity, also isolation, actually, um, and the digital world. I'm also uh, working on developing an episodic uh, series as well that is about um, a fictitious Eastern European country and a lot of different characters who are are a part of this, um, what is essentially this decaying empire. Um, But, I mean, those are so much in the in their nation stages I, I don't know if i would consider them real yet yeah yeah <laughs> um but ones that i'm actually in the process of um i'm finishing a uh like a stop motion animated experimental short cool and um also i uh, have been shooting another documentary um with a friend it's not my project but i've been the uh, cinematographer and cool. an editor for it and it's uh it takes place in israel and um mm-hmm we've been looking at just the, the modernization of, of what is notoriously a very biblical space. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, that, yeah, those Interesting. are... Interesting. Wow, yeah. that's fascinating. Such a range of, of, of things, too. Yeah, it's yeah. Hard, hard to choose. <laughs> <laughs> want everything. Everything in the candy shop. Yeah, um, yep. Okay, uh, great. Well, where can people stay up to date with your work and um, just, just find you and look for updates on all this stuff? Yeah, so I um I should be better about my social media presence, but I have uh, an Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's um at hersko underscore ronitas, which is uh, at h e r s k o underscore r o n a t a s. Um, and then I also have a website that I occasionally update. Um, and that's www.ahrtwork.com. So that's like artwork, but um, oh, a h gotcha. instead nice. of just a. Yeah. Cool. Well, very, very, very good. Um, so, well, thank you for taking some time out of the festival to be here talking. You're missing um, one of our uh, convert, one of our other workshop presentations too. So Sadly, we, we yeah. appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, happy to. Uh, thank you, Robert. Yeah, it was great to have you here. And thank you for listening. For more information on Nifty 2019, the talented youth, and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY or on Instagram at niftyfilm. And for more podcasts from Partyfish Media, search Partyfish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Partyfish Media. Fish media.